Luke chapter 18. Beginning at verse 18. The Bible says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easy for a camel to go through a needle's eye, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Title of the message this morning, Keeping the Temporal at the Price of the Eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word and pray that you'd help us as we study, as we uh, read and interpret your word, that we'd rightly apply it to our own lives for our good and thy glory. Speak to our hearts in conviction where conviction is needed. Save any that may be lost. Help them realize that things in this world are just temporal. But our life is going to spend eternity somewhere, either with you in heaven or in hell. So, Lord, we praise you. Work in hearts. Thank you again for the privilege we have to be together. Just pray that we just glorify you now in this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, keeping the temporal at the price of the, the eternal. You know, many people struggle with leaving or giving up the things of this life. You know, Jesus said, What shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, I want to notice, first of all, some three things this man had. You know, you've heard the, the saying, three strikes, you're out. Well, he had three things. Three things that he had. First of all, he had social standing. Notice in verse 18, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, a certain ruler. Now, Matthew 19, verses 20 and verse 22 the, the, the Bible there refers to him as not only a ruler, but as a young man. So the word ruler here means prince, magistrate, a leader of some kind. This is not just your ordinary Joe of society. He was somebody going somewhere. 
You know, he had a great future ahead of him, a long, prosperous, and influential future. He was well on his way to be being on the list of who's who in the nation of Israel. He was of the educated class of society. You know, and education's a wonderful tool. Good, a good education can greatly enhance our understanding of God and, and help us to rightly divide His Word. You know, ignorance, ignorance many times is the cause of wrong interpretation of Scripture. Most often willfully, on purpose, which in his case, which leads to false doctrine and practice. You know, that's the reason you think about it. Well, how could the Catholic Church control the masses of humanity for so many years? Keep them illiterate, that's how. They kept them illiterate. There's, there's no reward for ignorance. Homeschooling is not a reward, not an excuse for ignorance. Uh, Paul was, you know, Paul was an educated man. He, but he was an educated man with a heart surrendered to God. You know, in Acts twenty two three, it says, "I verily, a man which am a Jew, born of Tarsus, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel." Gamaliel was known as the doc, the doctor of the law in Jerusalem. He was the man if you wanted to be taught. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. You know, he had a good education. And God used that education in his ministry. You know, we need a good education. You know, our education should not become our master or our end goal. But should be to, that should be to glorify God. Uh, and we need to seek to follow and seek the wisdom of God. But, but, but this man, you know, he had, he was in that the elite class of society. And, you know, we, we should seek to, to educate ourselves to the best of our ability. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at a couple of verses of Scripture here. So think, let's think about education this morning a little bit. Let's think about this man. Educate, you know, because back in that day, it was not a common thing to have advanced education as he would have had or as Paul had. Uh, you know, there was few that had what we would today call college education. <clears throat> Excuse me. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see your calling, brethren. How that not many, might, not many wise men out of the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory 
in the Lord. You know, so he says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. He isn't, he isn't criticizing education. He's criticizing education without God. You know, Proverbs 1, 5 and 6 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. Learning, by the way, is a continual thing. It doesn't end when school ends. I learned that quite a few years ago. Um, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation and the words of the wise and their dark sayings. If you want to understand proverbs, they're sayings is what they are. If you want to understand proverbs, if you want to understand the word of God, you must have some understanding, are you ready for this, of grammar. Oh, I know. The use of the tools of language. You know, the, the disciples were not of this elite class of society like this ruler was. But they were not illiterate. You know, they were called, Peter and John were called unlearned and ignorant. In other words, they weren't of the elite like the Sanhedrin. They didn't have the education the Sanhedrin had. They weren't, they weren't, they hadn't spent time like Paul had studying the Old Testament scriptures. But you know what? Peter and John both wrote books of the Bible. And they were called unlearned and ignorant. They weren't illiterate. They just weren't of the elite class of society. In fact, John wrote Revelation. Think about that. Now, Paul, Paul had a little more advanced training, and I believe he wrote Hebrews. And Peter said about Paul, there's some things hard to be understood in his writings. He wrote to a different kind of people. You know, people like to quote, some people like to quote 1 Corinthians 3.18. Look, look at that, if you will, for a minute. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If many men among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness of God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. And, and they'll use something like this to say, well, you know, so you don't need a great education. That's not the context of the passage. The context of the passage is by the judgment of God. And if you're a fool, if you think you're not going to come under the judgment of God. Again, here we have ignorance many times ignores context. We see that in the political realm today. People that are ignorant taking things out of context. Willfully ignorant. So education, you know, is a wonderful tool for the glory of God. Ignorance is damning and destructive. It leads to slavery. When you can't analyze, you can't think for yourself, it makes you dependent on other people. But this man, though he was educated, though he was elite class of society, was without 
the truth of God, or we might say he was prejudiced or taught to be prejudiced against God. So he had good social standing. Secondly, he had a family heritage. Notice, notice verses 20 and 21. Verses 20 and 21. It says, Jesus replies to him, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now, Children just don't grow up by themselves without some oversight and live like this. Doesn't happen. Now, here was a model child, and I believe that he had good training in his home. I believe he was sincere in his quest for peace, and he is, I believe, sincere in stating that by the world standard... He had and was keeping the commandments of God. His own mind. We would say something like this. He is a really good person. But he's not saved. He's a really good person, but he's not saved. That's him. You know, it is... One commentator said, quote, It is fair to ask if this man really had kept these commandments, is it likely that he actually did keep them in the way that made him righteous in the eyes of men, unquote. One, one commentator said also that, quote, The time span involved in the ruler's mind may have begun with his bar mitzvah. You know, that's something Jewish had when, you're, when, you, when you turn, I think it's 12 or 13. It makes, they, then they call you a son of the law. And, and it's the time when a youth became an adult at the, uh, sorry, at the age of 13 and therefore obligated to fulfill the Mosaic Law. So, uh, so uh, it very well could be that from the time he had his bar became considered an adult, he, he was very meticulous about keeping all those commandments. You know, he'd have been a well-mannered, considerate, disciplined individual religiously trained in the Old Testament commandments, faithfully attending the synagogue every Sabbath day. You know, we would have said he was a good kid. Was that what we want? Just good kids? You know, we should desire godly children. Children that will rise up and serve the Lord that will stand against the world, willing to maintain biblical standards, reject what is popular Christianity for New Testament faith, once delivered unto the saints. You know, if it's once delivered unto the saints, that means it does not change. You know, reject the ideas, the modern ideas of social drinking. You know, there's a lot of, people, a lot of Christians today are accepting social drinking. That's okay. The dancing, the CCM praise band music, the world's slang and ungodly and coarse and profane language and the world's fashion. And not just outwardly conforming to it, but have a heart to bring glory to God. That should be our desire. You see, outwardly, this guy looked really good. He looked really good. 
I mean, he probably memorized portions of the Old Testament scriptures. He could probably quote many chapters of Deuteronomy. I'm sure he tithed at the temple like the Pharisees. But he left out mercy and judgment. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Isaiah 64.6 says, But we all, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Notice what Paul said about his upbringing and, and how it compared with the righteousness of God. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9, Paul said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also, Philippians 3, 4, my, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Oh, he had. He had good social standing, good education. He had uh, good family heritage. And those are wonderful things to have, but he had something added to that yet. He had riches. He had riches. Verses 22 and 23 says, Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Very One commentator said, in saying, quote, sell all that you have and destroy poor, you have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Jesus challenged the man to love God more than money and material things. The man failed this challenge. Essentially, this man was an idolater. He loved money and material things more than God. This shows, then, both tables of the law will test man. Now, what do we mean by both tables of law? Well, if you take the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with man. And when Jesus quoted the commandments to him, the commandments Jesus quoted to him had to do with his relationship with man. But when he said, sell that thou hast, and come follow me, that had to do with his relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And see, this 
he was not willing to do. It was sad but true, money often has a stranglehold on people. Notice verses 24 and 25. It says, And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now there's been a lot of discussion about what Jesus meant by it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Because you know, some say there was a there was a gate called the needle's eye, and it was very small, and it had been very hard to get a camel through it. And there in Jerusalem, I don't think I think it's what what they call it what they call this uh, hyperbole, an exaggeration. Uh, but the, he's trying to make a point. Men that are rich often trust in their riches. What did he say to the Laodicean church in Revelation? They are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. The Lord's outside the door, knocking, trying to get in. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Apostle Paul, under inspiration, writing to young Timothy, talked about warned against riches or the desire of riches or the love of riches. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, says, But they that will, and that word will there means desire, or that's their, their goal, their drive, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now this is not saying we should strive to be poor. It's not what it's saying. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. You know, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, money is the root of all evil. No, money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. And, and so uh, he says, they that will or desire to be rich fall into temptation and foolish. There are many exceeding challenges that go along with riches. In, chapter, in verse 17 through 19, he, he also makes reference and, and makes, gives a warning here. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. See, God is, it's God that has the power, uh, that gives us the power to get wealth. God gives us the power to get wealth. Riches are not wrong, but we need to not trust in uncertain, their uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they may do good, and that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So, so again, you know, there's, a, there's a, often a stranglehold. You know, uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 62.10, Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. 
the idea here is that you will spend everything you have and all your time just to be rich. My sister's brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, his goal in life is to be a millionaire by the time he's 35. But it cost him his marriage. In fact, it cost him two marriages. That's what he set his heart on. See, he labored to be rich. Very intellectual man. Very smart. But very foolish. Proverbs 23, verse 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as eagle toward heaven. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. You know, though this man had everything, he had riches, he would have had an outwardly righteous life, he had respect, he had prestige and social standing. Yet Jesus could say to him, you lack one thing. What didn't he have? He didn't have peace with God. He did not have peace with God. He did not have eternal life. So really he had One commentator said, quote, One might say that this man had climbed to the top of the ladder of success only to find his ladder leaned against the wrong building. Yeah, Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. See, eternal life cannot be purchased with money or social standing, education, or good heritage. You know, Peter told Simon in Acts chapter 8 and verse 20, Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. You know, like I said, three strikes, you're out. He had three strikes against him. Or did he? Think about it. If he would have had an honest and humble spirit, even though he had social standing, even though he had a rich family heritage and a good upbringing, even though he had riches, if he would have acknowledged that those privileges were granted to him by the mercy of God, everything would have been different. Think, I want you to think about this. A little historical lesson here. Okay, we're at between 30 and 33 AD here. About 35 years from now, what likely happened to everything that he had? What happened in 70, was it 70 AD? Titus and the Romans completely 
devastated. Jerusalem. It's gone. It's gone. Set not your heart on riches. Set not your heart on riches. But I want you to notice one other thing here. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It's the same, same account. But in verse 21 here of Mark, Mark makes this statement. Then Jesus, beholding him. In other words, he looked at him intently. And said, notice it says, loved him. Now, the typical Christian today would have led this guy in a sinner's prayer and had him saved and marked him up in the soul of the Lord and whatever, you know. But Jesus knew his heart. He loved him. And he said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. You know, Jesus said this in love. And, he, of course, he perceived that he was misguided and empty, that he didn't have a piece of God, and his heart was not right with God. You know, he could, he could see and understand that his money was an idol. And really, you know, he didn't love others like he said he did. You know, Jesus simply said to him, like he had said to others of his disciples, follow me. Follow me. But see, for this man, it meant leaving behind the riches he had set his heart on, the social class that he had set his heart on. Trapp, in his commentary, said, quote, Think not, therefore, as many do, that there is no other hell but poverty. You know, one of the things that, that people... And again, not everyone, but, but the tendency is when you have to think of doing that, oh, you might not have, is just unthinkable. That's where faith comes in. I'm not saying we're making foolish decisions. We are live by faith. I mean, he lost it anyway. But think not, therefore, as many do, that there is no other hell but poverty, no better heaven than abundance. You know, what is it to have riches? What do they compare in to have a peace, the peace of a conscience or mental rest? What, what do they compare with having peace with God and having, knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you have life and life eternal?
Clark said this, quote, Besides, he had unequivocal proof that these contributed nothing to his comfort, for he is now miserable even while he possesses them. It's evident that he's miserable even though he has riches. He comes running, saying, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's in misery now. I want you to notice one final thing. I want you to notice the promise of God. Verses 28 through 30. And this is in context with this passage. Um, you know, that Jesus had given that same command to Peter and John, who were successful fishermen. Uh, not Peter. Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were successful fishermen in business with their father. Uh, he gave that same command to Matthew, who was a tax collector. That was a pretty profitable business in Israel. And the Bible says Matthew left and followed him. But notice, notice the promise of God. Verse 28 it says, Then Peter said, you know, Peter's always the spokesman, it seems, for the crowd. Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. That was a true statement. They had. They left their father with the nets. And, he, and, and notice verse 29. And he said unto them, Verily, truly, I, uh, that word verily means truly, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting. You see, the principle stands, God will be a debtor to no man. He'll not be a debtor to any man. It's impossible for us to give more to God than he gives back to us. What we must remember is that not all God's blessings are material possessions. Psalm 62, trust not in oppression, become not vain and robbery. If riches... Set not your heart upon them. Matthew Poole describes some of the ways we get, we get many times over. Joy in the Holy Ghost, peace of conscience, a sense of God's love, contentment, contented frame of mind. God, God many times will stir up the hearts of others to supply their needs. And that supply will be sweeter to them than their abundance was. You know, God took everything Job had. Let me rephrase that. God allowed everything Job had to be taken away. Job remained faithful to the Lord, and God gave him back more than he had before. You know, the Lord's not saying to us, if we have money, we need to give it all away. 
That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, don't let your money control you. Don't let it become an idol. Where do you use it? It's God. If, if God has given it to you, use it for His glory. Be a good steward of it. See, here was a man who had, God had granted riches. Every good thing comes from the hand of God, saved or unsaved. But here was a man who would not allow God to direct his stewardship of that which God had given him. So, you know, these things, they can be great hindrances. Or they can be greatly used to glorify God. It's all a matter of the heart. So the question is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Franklin Roosevelt invited King George the sixth for a visit to the United States in 1939. It was significant, in fact, that no reigning British monarch had ever set foot on American soil, even in colonial times, never since America declared its independence from England. Of course, there had been tense relations. The evening program, they had a big formal dinner an evening, and musical entertainment at the White House. An evening program contained examples of traditional American music. And amongst those invited a well-loved Indian baritone by the name of White, Chief Whitefeather. He began the program by singing the British National Anthem, followed by Rule Britannia. He was the grandson of Sitting Bull. And I'm not going to read all of this, but he had gotten saved and attended Bible college and began an evangelistic ministry throughout the U.S. and overseas. He had a wonderful voice. So in that memorable evening, Roosevelt had invited him to the White House to begin the musical entertainment for the Royal Couple. The first two items, again, the, the, the British National Anthem and the Royal Britannia, were more or less expected as a tribute to the king and queen but after the applause, instead of sitting down, he began to sing again. Much to the surprise of those gathered because this was not part of the program. And he began to sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his near nail-pierced hand than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You see, riches profit not in the day of judgment. 
They only profit here. And the only way they're going to profit in eternity is if we use them in a way to glorify God. If we submit those riches to him. So, where is your heart this morning? You, know, you can hang on to temporal things at the price of the eternal. Was it um, Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose. Don't put your trust in the things of this world, but in the living God. So what are you trusting in?